Well, I'm glad to see you today, and it's great to be able to spend a little bit of time this morning with you, and, and uh, hope that you're looking forward to, the, or hope that you've enjoyed the weekend. Certainly, if you're a L fan, you had a lot of fun last night, so uh, man, men's football is a great, great, great game last night. But uh, hey, we, uh, I want to let you know a couple of things just to kind of piggyback on what Phil talked about. Uh, we all know that Thanksgiving is just right around the corner. I can't believe October is like tomorrow is Halloween. I don't know where the month went, it's, but it's just about gone. And that means it's time for Thanksgiving. And uh, we, are, we always have, it's kind of been a tradition around here every year, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we have a, a big service. It's a great opportunity to invite friends and family. It almost kind of feels like a homecoming a lot of times because people we haven't seen in a long time are, are here and we get to celebrate with them. And so we're going to be having that, that service uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, as we normally do, two services and all those sort of things. Uh, one of the best parts about that, in addition to inviting your friends, is we take up uh, and we kind of plan for taking up a special offering that day. And this year, I hope that you got a letter from me in the mail this week. If you didn't, be sure to stop by in the next steps area so we've got your information. But want to let you know about that. We're really excited to be uh, supporting our student ministry. And we, are, we have a goal of raising $10,000. Uh, to upgrade and renovate the student ministry space. We've got a few things that really need to be taken care of, and we want to be able to give them the best worship space that we can for the years to come. And so we're, we ask you to be praying about that and how we can really encourage and, and just empower our student ministry to, to reach these, these uh, young people, middle school and high school, that, are, that need to know Jesus. That's our goal. And, and so that's going to be... Uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, hope that you'll be part of that service, it's going to be great, but we're doing something different this year also, because normally we have had a meal on Sunday after church, and uh, this year we said we wanted to do that a little bit differently, and so we're going to be having the special meal on Friday evening, and we'll have a special service that night too, it'll be different from what's on Sunday morning, so you won't feel like if you come Friday that Sunday, you know, you're not going to hear the same thing. It's going to be a different service. But what we're going to be doing is kind of sharing that time with the folks who come here every Friday night for Celebrate Recovery. And here's why, and, and I need you to, to see kind of the, the vision for this. A lot of the, the men and women that we are blessed to be able to minister to on Friday nights, many, many of them have never been to church before. And so for them, the idea of, of coming to a worship service is, is just a foreign idea, and they don't know. And so what we have said is, how can we bridge that gap a little bit? How can we help them to experience that in a way where it feels, you know, we want them to know that, hey, we, we want you to be part of our family. We consider you to be, you know, part of our family here at Fairdale Christian Church. So on that Friday night, it's going to be a worship service. We're going to have a cafe, we'll have children's ministry, we'll have greeters, we'll have all that that'll be in here, and uh, I'm going to be speaking, we'll have worship, the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, and then we're going to have, but we'll have the meal before that. So that'll be at 5.30 on the Friday before Thanksgiving, which is November the 18th. So you'll hear a little bit more about that as we get there, but I just wanted to let you know about that in advance, and I hope that you make plans to be here, because it's going to be a great weekend uh, the whole time. And I, I want to, you know, speaking of student ministry and investing in them, I want to invite uh, our, our new student pastor, Riley Reinhardt, to come up here. A lot of you hopefully have had the opportunity to say hi to Riley, and uh, I just wanted him to kind of share a little bit about his heart, because we're talking about investing, and we're talking about what is it going to take for us to reach the next generation, young people, middle school and high schoolers, 
And Riley's the guy that we've brought in to say, okay, lead the charge on this. I just wanted you to hear from him. It's actually a really cool story how I ended up here at Faradell. So uh, Faradell is actually, I, I lived here for about four different years, and uh, my whole family, my mom's side of the family is from this area. So when I heard about the opportunity to come here and work at Faradell, uh, it was a dream job for me. And student ministry is my passion. It is what I love. There's nothing that gets me up in the morning like thinking about student ministry and how we're going to make students more like Jesus. So we have a lot of really things coming, a lot of great things, Jr did an amazing job setting up this transition for our student ministry. And I really want you, if you have a middle schooler or high schooler, really prioritize planning on being at student groups on Sunday night. We're, we're having our real relationship groups where your student is going to meet a volunteer, a very uh, background-checked, very capable leader that is going to help them walk and show them what it's like to be more like Jesus. Um, that is something your student's not going to want to miss. I would hate for them to go through... Uh, middle school and high school without that strong spiritual leader in their life that can show them who Jesus is. Um, so that's a little bit about me. I'm excited to be here, excited to get to know y'all and be a part of this family. That's the best part about this is I get to join this Faradell family. So yeah. super excited. Man, thank you. And I tell you what, we, we've been so blessed, just been on staff a couple weeks now, but I tell you, we really feel blessed and honored to have him as a part of the team. I, I'm looking forward to a lot of great years ahead. And so just give it up for Riley and for being here. Well, uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited about uh, what's coming down the line, you know, and, and as a dad who has, I have three students right now that are all in student ministry, middle school and high school age, one of the things that I've noticed about our, our group is we have a pretty young group. We have a lot of sixth and seventh graders. We've got some, some older ones too, but uh, we have a, a great group of young people that are moving up, and so the next couple of years are going to be crucial for us as we see that ministry really beginning to blossom and, and new students coming in, new families coming in to become part of our church. And so we really want to make that plea, help us to do the best that we can for these, for these young people. So we appreciate your generosity in that. Now we have almost worked our way through the entire New Testament book of Philippians. Uh, we're, we're actually going to finish this series up next week. We're starting chapter 4 today, and, uh, and everything that Paul has been saying in the letter uh, really kind of is, reading, is leading to this moment today where we land. And he starts out uh, by, by addressing two ladies in the church. You remember the book of Philippians is actually not a book, it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the church that he loved, and evidently there was some, some issues going on, a, a major dispute. These two ladies, probably pretty prominent, may have been involved in the founding of the church, and they're, they're having such a disagreement that it's threatening to split the church. And what we've discovered, again, is he's writing this letter. The church was started with a group of women, and, uh, and, and Paul really loved these people. They were a great church. His letter is overflowing with joy. I mean, that's the theme of it. That's why we call this series Deeper Joy. I think it's God's guide to how can we have deeper joy in our lives. Uh, Paul's thankful for his relationship with them. But it does not mean that they were perfect. The church was not perfect. It didn't mean, doesn't mean they didn't have any problems. In fact, they were dealing with some false teaching. Uh, there, was some, uh, there was persecution. There was a lack of unity. And it seems like the biggest threat to the church at the moment were these two prominent women. They're having a huge personal disagreement that was, 
that was tearing the church in two, in two parts. And so Paul's going to address that. Why does he include that here? It's because this entire letter is driving forward to this next section, which the verse is on stress, anxiety, and burden carrying. This is like the, the height of it. If we're going to think about what are the things that rob us of joy, it's, well, that's, if you were here last week, that's what we talked about. Stress, one of the major, major joy killers in our life. Anxiety, you know, carrying burdens, that's, that's like the, the opposite of joy. And, and if we're honest, you know, we think about why is Paul addressing these two ladies? Relationships. Relationships that we have can be some of the biggest burdens that we deal with. Uh, they just are because you know what? And here's why. You, you can control money. You can control time, but you can't control people. You just can't control them. I, I heard a story about another... We think about a fight going on in this church. I heard a story about another fight that happened in a church. This guy uh, came home from church one morning. And he had two black eyes. And his wife's there and she says, well, what, what in the world happened to you? Why do you, why do you have two black eyes? And he says, this is the strangest thing. He says, we, we're in church, in this church service, and we all stood up to pray. And I noticed that there was a woman in front of me that the back of her dress was tucked into her pantyhose. And I didn't want to embarrass her by saying anything, so I just reached out and pulled it out. And she turned around and punched me in the eye. And his wife says, well, okay, that's weird, but that explains one black eye. Why the other one? He said, well, I assumed that she wanted it there, so I reached back and just tucked it back in. <laughs> hey, I checked, that, I checked that joke with the staff this week. I'm like, this is too much middle school boy stuff. They're like, oh, I think you're good. <laughs> you know, some of the biggest conflicts that we have, some of the biggest causes of our own stress and our anxiety is our desire to fix something on our own. You know, when I want to have the control, I want to be able to get in, you know, if it's, if it's a, if there is a problem or a perceived problem or something that I see that I think needs to be taken care of, oftentimes uh, we, we want to get in there and kind of just fix things ourselves or maybe control people or control a circumstance. And the truth is, and, and some of us, we really need to, we need to hear this and we need to embrace it. We've got to let this settle into our hearts is that there are times when we need to just stay in our own lane. Scripture talks about that. You know, we, we, we may see a problem or we may see a perceived issue. We see something out there. That, you know, they, they really shouldn't be doing that. We really need to fix this. We really need to do something about this. And so we get in there and kind of like the guy with the pantyhose and whatever, like, I'm going to fix this for you when we are going to do a lot more damage than we intended to do. Scripture says you must be careful not to try to pick the speck out of your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye. We, let's ask God to, to deal with us. Rather than, rather than meddling, we have to learn restraint. And we don't know what caused the issue with these two ladies in the church. But whatever it was, Paul's pleading with them to, to bury the hatchet. Because the mission of Jesus is too important to be caught up in interpersonal conflict. Here's what it says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. 
I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. He says, now I appeal to Judea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others about the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, I love that, that verse is in there. I really do, because it shows the realness of this. It just shows that, hey, this is, these were real people. This was a real church, and they were dealing with real issues. And here was one of them that Paul's trying to help them you know, figure, you know, figure out how we're going to navigate through this. And if you, if you have been part of a church, any church, I don't care which one, in any place, if you've ever been part of a church for more than 15 minutes, you know, you recognize that this kind of stuff happens. Because you've got different people with different personalities and different ideas and different thoughts. And we all bring that in. And then to add on top of all that, we spiritualize it. And so it's, you know, all of a sudden you have churches that fight about things like the color of the carpet. You know, you've heard people joke about, you know, somebody, you know, a church splitting because of, a, you know, a stained glass window or a color of paint or something. You know, something just totally, totally doesn't matter at all. But, but it happens because you get different personalities and that you've got an opportunity for conflict. And this situation evidently had become public enough between these two ladies that the whole church knew about it. And they were kind of drawing battle lines. They were rallying, you know, kind of building up their troops. You know how that goes. When somebody rubs you the wrong way, this happens in your life. Something, something's happened and you have a disagreement, a spat with somebody. The first thing that you do, because this is a part of what we do, is you get people to your side. You, know, you, you say, can you believe that they said this? Or do you, did you hear about what happened? And you're trying to feel them out to see which side are they going to land on. Are they going to, they going to be on my team or are they going to be against me? And, and, and we're trying to rally support. That was what was happening here. And Paul says, hey, please stop that. Please stop that because you're hurting the body of Christ. And the mission is far too important. There are so many lost people out there that need to know that Jesus cares for them. And wants to forgive them and save them. Let's let's bury our let's let's forget the conflict. Let's put let bygones be bygones and move on. We're all on team Jesus here. Let's find a way to move forward together. So where he's where he's driving toward is how do we deal with anxiety and stress and worry? Evidently, the stress has been boiling over here. How do we deal with that? What do we do in our own personal lives when there are burdens and there's pressure? The scripture we're going to dig into, really, this is what the whole book of Philippians has been heading toward. He's going to start with this theme, which is rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But if you, if you look, I don't know how many of you, if you don't have this app on your phone already, you ought to, you ought to get it on your phone. It's called Version, and it's a free Bible app. And you can have every translation of the Bible that you want. It's got lots of devotions, lots of reading plans and reading guides and lots of helpful stuff on there. It's a great resource. It's been downloaded hundreds of millions of times. I mean, people all over the world are using this app, and it's, it's great. I, I love it. But one of the things that they keep track of every year is what are the most downloaded Bible verses? Like, what's the most searched? What are people reading more than anything else? And you know, for the last, at least the last couple of years... The most, recent, the most searched, the most downloaded Bible verse 
is the one we're getting ready to deal with, Philippians 4. And I, I ask myself, well, why is that? I think it's interesting. Why are people pursuing this verse more than any other in the whole Bible? It means that there's a great need that people are trying to find an answer to. We have a big question mark in our life. And we are desperately searching and seeking to try to say, what does God say about this? How, how do I resolve this? And I, I, believe, I believe that the question is, in some form, the question that so many are asking is, when I'm anxious, how do I have joy? You know the feeling when, when, it, when it is rising inside you. You know, I don't care how tough or strong you think you are or how you say, I'm just, no, I'm really, you know, I'm really emotionally stable. We all have moments of anxiousness. We all have moments of fear. And fear in and of itself can be, you know, we're, we're, sometimes we're just afraid of being afraid. It's an irrational thing, but we all struggle with it. We all deal with it. How can we find joy? It's something that seems difficult to obtain. And verse 4 says, Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. When, you are, when, you're, when you're doing that, rejoicing in the Lord, it, it literally means that you go to God for joy. That's what, that, that's what that's saying to us. Rejoicing in the Lord, it means you go to the Lord to get your joy. Because you will not get it from circumstances. You will not find joy in relationships. You will not find joy from your health or your wealth or anything else. The, the place that you obtain joy, the place that it comes from, is from God. Joy comes from the Lord. And, it'll, and He will help you to live a joyful and peaceful and content, satisfying life. Rejoice, that's what He says. I want you to rejoice. You say, what is that word? What's the definition of that word? If we look at the Greek, what does rejoice mean? It means stop being so grumpy. That's, what, that's the Greek. That's what it means. Just stop. Just quit being, you know, a, a, a downer all the time. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, in case you missed it the first time, I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's not easy to do. It can be, it can be tough. There's so many things. There's so much in our world, in our lives that add to our stress, that add to our anxiousness, that cause us to feel that. And let, let me tell you what Paul is not doing here when he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying, I want you This is not a check your brain at the door and deny reality. That's not what he's asking us to do. Our faith is never, at any point, your faith in Jesus is, never asks you to deny reality. Our faith is a thoughtful faith. You know, that's why Scripture says that we should... That we should always be ready to have a reason for the hope that we have. That we've, we've thought this through. We've investigated it. We've asked the hard questions. He's not saying, you know, just, just check your brain. Paul's sitting in prison at this moment. He, he, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if he'll be released. He doesn't, he, he, this may be the last words that he'll ever write. He doesn't know. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's not lost his mind. He isn't telling us to deny the situations that we're in, what he's telling us is choose your response. Choose how you respond. I love what uh, Lou Holtz, who was a former 
college football coach, probably most well-known for coaching for Notre Dame. He had a quote. He said, it's not the load that breaks you. It's the way you carry it. What are the things in your life? What are the, what are the burdens? What are the, the stressors? What are the things that make you anxious that you, you just have to deal with? They're not going to go away. You're not going to be able to wave a magic wand and, just, and, and they're gone. You, you have to deal with them. But you get to choose how you respond. You, you have that option. And that's why I love this quote. It's not, it's not the load. It's not the stress that breaks you. It's not the circumstances. It's not the hard things in life that break you. It's the way that you deal with it. That's what's going to make or break you. It's, it's how am I responding? Now, medical experts say that if you're a type A personality, you're more driven, a little bit more organized, bad news if that's you, you tend to have higher stress and you tend to do it to yourself. You bring it on yourself. And what can happen, and here's what happens, those of us that, that, that's, that, that you say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more high strung. I'm a little bit more organized. I probably am a little more type A. I'm not so much relaxed and easygoing, whatever. If that's you, the truth is, this is the way your brain works. You think that as soon as a situation is fixed, then I will have joy. So I've got to get through this season. But as soon as we get through this quarter... Or this little problem, or we're going to get in and, you know, I'm going to try to fix this person, or, you know, fix whatever. As soon as we can move past that, then joy is on the other side of that. That's what, that's what your brain tells you. It's not true. It's not true, because every time you get through that problem, there's another one on the other side. There's another one. And there's, we say, well, I'll be happy. It never happens. That's why I challenged this last week. Every day, look for the good. Find the good every day. How can we reframe our circumstances instead of looking at what has not worked out in our lives and what's not ideal. How can we look at that and, and yet be thankful for what God has blessed us with, that he's blessed us more than we deserve? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Go to God for joy. And I say it again, rejoice. And then he says this in verse 5, he says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is close. Uh, what's he saying there? He's, Let everyone see that you're considerate. Uh, other translations, they use the word reasonable. They say, let everyone's, let, let your reasonableness be evident to all. That might be a version that you're more familiar with. Wh what does that mean? Let everyone see you as a reasonable person. It's pretty simple. It means that people who are following Jesus, Christians, we should not be uh, people who are easily angered. We should not be people who are foolish, but we should be people who are reasonable and wise, and we are able to handle difficult situations and disagreements with maturity. That's what it means. It means as you're growing to become more like Christ, you should be becoming more emotionally mature, emotionally healthy, and you're asking God for wisdom. He promises to give it to you. So you're able to be discerning. You're not allowing yourself to be driven by emotions. You know, when I get angry, when I get discouraged, when I'm up or down, highs and lows, I, I am choosing my response. Did Jesus ever have moments where he was 
angry or discouraged or, 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 or could have been, you know, even felt depressing, you know, depressing circumstances? Absolutely. He experienced the whole range of human emotions and all kinds of trouble and trials, and yet he was in control of his response. Very measured, very controlled, and we should too. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. It doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Like, I just try to keep the peace. I try to keep it. He says, you're, you're blessed if you're a peacemaker. That's an action. When I go and make peace, meaning I'm going to take the first step towards it. If I've got a beef with somebody or something has happened that I'm upset about, I'm not going to take my ball and go home. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to ghost somebody. I'm going to take a step to deal with it and as a peacemaker. I want to go to you as a friend, as a brother or sister in Christ and this is the call of God on your life. We all want to know, what's God's will for me? What does God want me to do? Here, here's something that Jesus said. You're blessed when you're a peacemaker. When you, when you try to make peace with other people, you're called to be a person who works for that. We're called to be a people who, who strive to respond in wisdom and maturity. And we ask God to give us wisdom in any and every circumstance and we say, Lord, help me to grow, to become more like you. And that's how I want my life to look. That's, that's how I want to respond. The Bible says, for as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He's saying, don't let your emotions run your life. If you think about it like a rudder, he says, don't let your emotions be the rudder of your life. That's directing it wherever it wants to go. So you're angry, so you go this way. So you're discouraged, you go this way. So you, you know, whatever it is, you, he says, you can't allow that to, to guide you. You've got to be guided by joy. That I'm asking God to give me joy. I want to, I want to be reasonable and considerate. And when you're experiencing some level of stress or anxiety or pressure or resistance, burden, crisis, whatever, whatever it is in your life, your emotions are going to be really, really strong in those moments. We get emotional. It's, it's a powerful force. So we have to be careful to respond appropriately. That's a sign of strength. It's a sign of maturity. When I can, when I can feel the emotion and yet I control my response. I want to become more like Christ. How do we do that? How, how is that a possible thing for us? How do we overcome anxiety, stress? How do we do these things that God calls us to do? It seems so overwhelming. Paul gives us the answer. It's, it's good. In the next verse, here's what he says to do. Don't worry about anything. Now, I know that's a big statement, and I know that that's like, oh, great, that's it. Just don't worry. Great, I got it. But he's, he's going to tell us how. Here's, how you, here's, here's the secret to it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It's replacing. You're replacing one, one action with another. Instead of worrying, I'm going to go to God in prayer. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. It's pretty simple. I mean, that's it. If we wanted a formula, I mean, it's not exactly a formula, but it's pretty close. When you're feeling stressed out, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling like, ah, I feel like you know, that emotional rudder wants to take me off, off the deep end here, what do you do? Don't worry, pray. 
Don't worry. Here's, here's the challenge from this verse that I would love to give you if you would remember this. When you start to panic, stop to pray. When you feel the feelings rising up, you, you feel the little heated, you know, is it on the back of your neck or whatever else, and you're like, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, just stop. Just stop. You start to panic, stop to pray. Now, some of you say, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to process all that. I'm way too busy. We've got too much going on in my life. And I'll, I'll give you that. You've got a lot going on. You've got a lot going on in your life, but you're not being productive. You're busy with a bunch of busyness, but it's nothing productive. You've made your choice. And your life is being driven by those emotions. And it's, it's not producing. It's not accomplishing a lot. And when you're panicky, there's no, there's no reason to panic. It's, but the panic, it, it has to be settled through prayer. It has to be taken there. And, and this is where sometimes we complain. We will, we will vent. Or maybe we self-medicate. We, we, we will do all these other things except go and meet with God about it. Because I'm trying to find a solution. I'm trying to control it. I, I don't, you know, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go turn to this thing instead of going to God. But you think, okay, well, maybe I'll give it a try. Okay, when I start to panic, when I start to feel anxious, when I'm starting to feel stressed, okay, I'll stop and I'll pray. But what's going to happen? You control freaks. I know that's your question. We like to panic. We like to overthink. You're in good company. I do that too. You know, I always say my wife has the gift of faith. I have the gift of freaking out. It's just the way we work. We're kind of like, we just fit together, I guess. She can, she's like, you know, God's got this, right? And I'm like, yeah, but, but I need to worry about it, don't I? Won't that help? She's, no, she, she has faith. I freak out. But we're, we're, we're growing through that. We, but we can, if we can learn to stop and meet with the Lord about it, this is what happens. Paul says, if you'll do this, if you will control your response... When you start to panic, if you'll stop and pray, here's what happens in verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and will guard your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word guard, I mean, it's a defensive word. So God is going to protect your heart and he will protect your mind. When you do this, when you can learn to do this, when you can have the discipline, when I recognize what's happening, I recognize the emotions are bubbling up. These two ladies at the beginning, they're fighting about whatever it is that they're fighting about. Paul said, let everybody just calm down. Everybody, let's just calm down here. When we feel the emotions, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. And what happens? God says, you will experience my peace. I'll give it to you right there, right in that moment. You will have it, which exceeds anything that we can understand. My peace will guard your hearts and your minds. You remember a few weeks ago, if you've been hanging with us, a few weeks ago I told you there was a, a study that was done, a psychology study that was done a few years ago, and they asked the question, they're interviewing all these people and looking at responses, and they'd ask, what is it that determines happiness? How do we know? And, and this is so fascinating to me that they said 10% is external circumstances, the things around me. That's only 10% is what makes me happy or not. But we think that it's all of it. So what that means is the vacation is not going to make you happy. The boat that's not going to make you happy. The new car or the new job that you've been like, I need to get a new job so I can make more money, so I can have more freedom and do whatever. And, you know, it, it might do a little bit. It might make you happy a little bit, but it's not going to do it over the long haul for sure. 
That's what they found out, 10%. So ultimately, our happiness and our joy is rooted somewhere else. Well, they said 50% is a set point. Uh, it's a, it's a, like your personality, the way you're wired by God. And I had somebody tell me a few weeks ago, they said, oh man, that's, I hate to hear that. 50% of my happiness is like just who I am. Well, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a negative person. So what do I do about that? I feel bad about it. I said, you know, I'm actually encouraged by that. Because what do I know about my relationship with Christ is he's called me to follow him. He's called me to grow. And as I'm growing and I'm maturing, I'm becoming more like Jesus. He's put his Holy Spirit in me and he's doing a deep work in my life. So if I'm becoming more like Jesus, that means that's who I am. That's the 50% we're talking about. He's changing me and I will become a more joyful person. But the other 40%, these psychologists said, it's your, it's your, it's your mindset. It's intentional things. The things that you do on purpose. The things that you set your mind to. What are, what are the things you think about? You know what I love about these kind of studies is it just confirms things that God told us in his word thousands of years ago. We already knew this, but you know, here it is confirmed again. Verse 8, Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true. It's your mind. Think about this. Do this on purpose. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. How do I have deeper joy in my life? That's the question we're all asking. How do I get that peace? How do I have that? Control your response. When you start to panic, you stop to pray. And then the God of, our God of peace is going to give us his peace. When you and I have problems and worries, it's easy for us to forget about praying. And when we do pray, this is one of the main hang-ups we have. When we do pray about something, our expectations are all messed up. Because we expect that, okay, I'm going to pray about this and God's going to answer exactly the way that I want him to answer. So he's going to fix the problem. The way that I want it fixed. Or he's going to solve the issue. He's going to take the thing away. And God can certainly do that. He could. He's, he's got the power to do that. But he is not limited by that. God is not limited to just fix the problem the way we want him to fix it. He doesn't say that he's going to make every situation easy for us. Or ideal for us. And What he does promise is to give us peace. Through every situation. He's changing us. He may not change the circumstance, but he will change our relationship with it so that we don't have inner turmoil. He's promised us peace. I believe that that's what we all want deep down. We, we, want, we want that peace. We, we want to do what God wants us to do. But it's a question. What does he want? What does he want me to do? And some of that uh, you find in the Word of God. If you open the Word of God, you'll see it. It's not a secret. It's there. Some of it He reveals to us as we spend time with Him and praying and just spending time with the Lord, actually spending, making the time to be in His presence. He'll speak to our hearts and, and help us to understand things. But there's other times it seems that the Lord doesn't speak to you at all. He doesn't say anything. 
Ever had those moments where you say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? And there's just silence. You know, and you say, I'll do anything you want. You know, I, I'm, I, I, any, I, I'm, not, I'm tired of my life. I want what you want for my life, so I'll do it. You just tell me what you want. There's just silence. I believe that in those moments, maybe, I know that in those moments, that's when the enemy creeps in and he lies to you and say, well, see, God doesn't care about you. Because you're asking this question, you're not hearing any response, he doesn't care, or he's abandoned you, or maybe worse yet, maybe God doesn't exist. And that's why. I believe that when God isn't speaking, it, it may be because he's listening. Maybe he wants us to come to him. You know, when we start to panic, stop and pray. God, I want to bring this burden to you. I need to leave it with you because I can't deal with this. And he wants us to, to bring it to him. The Bible says over and over again, fear not. Have no fear. Why? Fear is something we all struggle with. Anxiety something we all wrestle with. It's not just a Christian problem. It's a, it's a human problem. But the hope that we have, and, and as children of God, the promise that's true for us, Paul wrote, his peace, God's peace, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You today that you would help us to have that, that joy and the peace that you've promised us. May you still our hearts and quiet our minds the stress and the worry and the anxiety that we feel, may it subside. Help us to choose to follow you. Help us to have the, the discipline and the maturity to follow you even in the hard moments, to choose joy. We thank you for your son that is given his life that we might be forgiven and made whole help us to feel that today to know that in you we stand as a whole person that you have called us to repent but you also are in the process of reconciling us to you and we thank you for that work and we thank you for who you are and pray all this in Jesus name Amen God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.